QVC Quality Violent Cinema Hello everybody, welcome to episode 8 of Quality Violent Cinema. I'm your host Ian with your other host Christian and we're going to be doing an episode on self-infliction and self-mutilation. That's a type of horror subgenre. A lot of the self-infliction horror stuff we're going to be talking about is related to our two guests, White Gardenia, who consists of Daniel Valiant and Allison. So we're going to be interviewing them after we do our little intro here. Let's talk about some movies that involve self-infliction or self-mutilation. There's a lot of them in the horror genre. It's just you kind of got to look for it. But when you really think about it, there's a ton of them. Yeah, and some of it just kind of snuck in. It's not necessarily the whole film, but there's like little elements of self-infliction. Yeah, and like the people we're interviewing... They do real self-affliction, so they actually cut their body and stuff. There's some movies that have that in it. Like, we've mentioned the movie a few times, 29 Needles. Uh, the main character, played by Brooke Barry. I forgot what the main character's name was. But they're, you know, stabbing needles into their balls and... All what kinds else? of fun stuff. Yeah, what else was there in that movie? I mean, there's a bunch of stuff. And it's, it depends on which one's self-inflicted and which one's... You know, not inflicted because he has guy like bites into his dick, but that's yeah. not technically self-inflicted. So I think mostly just the needles are self-inflicted, but there's definitely some other stuff. He cuts himself and cuts his. Yeah, some of his stuff is, can be like borderline too because it's, maybe they didn't do self-infliction, but they asked somebody to do it to them. Right, which so, is still a form. Yeah, of it. yeah, it's inter- it's interesting. And with uh, Daniel and Allison, there is kind of that. Uh, there where you know one person's doing one thing to the I other. I feel the only person in the public eye that I've seen is from the documentary Sick. The documentary about Bob Flanagan. The dude has cystic fibrosis and kind of overcame it with super masochism as he calls it. Because yeah. he calls himself a super masochist. Right, yeah. That's the only one I've kind of seen. Um, if you haven't seen that, it, it breaks your heart at the end just kind of seeing him dying um and just him kind of fighting it uh and she just chooses to keep recording in the darkest times that you expect even after um she's the first one to see his body and she keeps his mistress Mm -hmm. his mistress yeah he has a mistress that beats him up and does all kinds of stuff to him especially once he loses the ability to move and yeah yeah pretty sad stuff but so you you love that documentary though you brought it up few times i have it was it's it's just powerful um very powerful definitely couldn't help but cry a little bit in the end then there's a, a ton of movies where it's fictional it's special effects but one of them i saw at a very young age was return of the living dead part three have you seen that one yeah i love all of with return melinda clark uh mm-hmm. putting all kinds of needles and pins in her body because it curves the cravings for brains so that that was awesome even though some of the acting is is bad in that one i think that's one of my all-time ultimate favorite ones yeah it's a good one um another one that i really liked was eat which was from 2014 uh it was about a girl who she wants to become a celebrity movie star so she's in hollywood doing all kinds of interviews 
And one thing that's holding her back is that she keeps blacking out and eating small parts of herself. And it gets pretty gross, actually. Something about the things she does to her body actually made me Reminds me a lot of Raw. Yeah, Raw's another one where... um, She starts eating her own finger. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, self-cannibalism, that's totally in a ton of horror movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, Naked Blood does that, too. Yeah, Naked Blood with a girl who tempuras her hand and then plucks her eyeball yeah, out. Yeah, and eats her eye. And they're yeah. just so into it, too. So it's not, like, torturous. It's like, oh, my... Like, it's, like, the best thing they've ever eaten. Naked Blood's, like, one of the most ultimate self-infliction movies. Oh, 100%. And That's, then also, I mean, we talked about both of them in a Japan episode, but uh, My Red Guts... Woman's yeah, flesh, my red that's, that's another one too. Oh, 100 when she's eating your intestines. I, w- I tried watching American Guinea Pig Sacrifice. I got about 40 minutes in. It's pretty good. A lot of dick mutilation. Yeah, it's a lot of there's a lot of dicks. In that a just lot seems of like stuff. if there is self infliction, it's a lot of dick self infliction. Yeah, uh, and a lot of this extreme stuff. Uh, at least when it comes to the guy side, and then the girl side is them eating themselves. And then the, of course there's he never dies. It's, you know, there's a lot of stuff from Japan self-mutilation and you know you also have the harakiri box set that unearthed put out mm-hmm. where the you know it's chicks committing harakiri yeah no the the blood boobs and blood boobs and nudity whatever it is <laughs> yeah anyway yeah that's just a, a couple movies uh, anything else that you should think's worth mentioning uh i mean there's it's it's all around uh in my skin yeah, I want to um, see in my skin. That looks cool. Yeah, I mean, it's there's there's like I said, they're, they're all throughout. Um, I found a lot in the. Um, it's a lot of shorts. Um, there's some gore anthologies that I just came across that were really cool. Um, they're like international ones. That's just a quick little intro. We'll get into our interview now with Daniel Valiant and Allison of White Gardenia. Hello, we're here with Daniel Valiant and Allison of White Gardenia, and we're talking to them about their work in the pain infliction business. Um, how are you guys doing today? Good, good. How are you doing? Good. <laughs> so I don't know if, uh, if you're familiar, if anyone is listening and seen um, XXX Dark Web, which is a, a little different than uh, XXX Deep Web. Um, so what is exactly the difference in that? Well, um, XXX Deep Web was a movie released through Unearthed Films, I think, I think. And XXX Dark Web is sort of the conceptual sequel to that film. I don't think either me, well, me, me and Allison made a segment for XXX Dark Web. Um, but we segment. don't have anything to do with Deep Web, do we? Yeah. Well, so. it, it actually is a conceptual sequel to that film, although I've never actually seen XXX Deep Web. Um, <laughs> It's, it's surprisingly I tame guess, in comparison. I'm sure Allison has never seen it either. And yeah. so um, it is kind of strange that we directed a segment for a sequel without ever having seen the original film. But that is kind of how it happened. Um, but Demiziano made the first, you know, he was the guy who um, put together the first film, which was also an anthology. And then he put together XXX Dark Web as kind of a sequel. But um it's I, I don't think it's related other than that the framing sequence um, involves like a red queen of hearts. And that's what kind of mm-hmm. connects all the segments together. But I would love to see XXX Deep Web because I love Demiziano's films. And um, I think my friend Jamie Dunn is in that film as well. 
So in that, did you actually cut off your finger and cook it? Is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we did. And I've had, um, you know, there's been a couple of people who have said that that scene ruined their lives, but it, it actually didn't hurt at all. Um, about three hours later, as I was walking through Walmart, it, it did start hurting at that point. But it, it still, I think, was one of the least painful things that I've ever filmed. And actually, the most painful footage I've ever shot is still unused. It's still fit, you know, I, it's footage I have still not edited. But yeah, I, I know Allison has some memories from that, um, from shooting that night. Uh, she definitely didn't like the smell of Oh, yeah. yeah, you can see in the video, just kind of oh. gagging on it. Yeah, I heard gagging. worst smell I've ever smelled. And I do taxidermy. I, I mean, I mess with dead animals all the time. And that was the worst, worst smell I've ever smelled in my life. <laughs> so do you take anything for the pain beforehand? I, to me, the, the, the like self-infliction is different than pain it's a totally completely different thing so no pain to me is something I'm not expecting it like like earlier I got a paper cut and that hurt to me but uh like cutting myself and whatnot that doesn't hurt so no as far as whether I take anything for pain I'm actually straight edge so I don't take painkillers and that's one of the only things that I faked in XXX dark web because in that segment um you know, when, when we were planning it, I imagine that. Yeah. I saw you kind of taking a pill. Right. And I, when I was kind of putting the, when I was kind of um, imagining how the sequence would go, I, for some reason, imagined the Cherokee would slip drugs into my mouth before I stabbed myself. And I'm not sure why I met, you know, I'm not sure why I wanted it to be that way. Cause I don't do drugs in real life. I've never even smoked marijuana, but for some reason, I just knew that Cherokee should slip that into my mouth. And so that's the only thing that we faked. Um, we used an aspirin. We were just pretending that it was drugs. But um, but even then, I, I actually spit it out because I don't, you know, I don't even take aspirin. I just don't use painkillers, period. Yeah, I don't really either. But I've actually, I've heard aspirin is actually really good for you. So um, I've heard that it's like got anti, anti-aging properties. Yeah, I, mean, I think, I think if you take it in moderation, not something yeah. you want to take a lot or it can screw up your liver, so. <laughs> yeah that's what i've heard yeah have you guys uh so you guys do stuff with ba- different bands how many bands or what bands have you worked with well guymerth we're me and allison are really close friends with the guys in guymerth uh sierra gallagher and bridger um he or bridger tone he used to be in guymerth and um i did cut myself on stage with that band at one pretty memorable show and a couple of people in the audience fainted and so the <laughs> venue kicked me out <laughs> and I had to walk. They like escorted me out the back entrance, all covered in blood. And that's actually documented in one of the DVDs that you ordered from me. Um, yeah, I think. I think we watched it. Yeah, I made him watch some of the stage. Yeah, is that you? You did it with scissors, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah that that was an that was a good show. But um, yeah, we collaborate some... with other bands too. I've collaborated with that the German band Oval. And, yeah, because um, I saw you kind of on the laptop, kind of you doing some of the background music for some of uh Yeah, well, I kind of for Geimerth, I was I'm not in the band. They kicked me out. I used to be oh. in it, but well, <laughs> I, I don't know if they kicked me out. I, that might not be true, but they I, I kind <laughs> of <feel> understanding. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, they're great. Like Sierra and Bridger are some of our best friends, but um, but yeah, I kind of like would incorporate some some noise and ambient stuff. But it, they, they're actually a black metal band. 
Yeah. No, I, I dug it. I, I like the music. Have you guys ever been hospitalized over self-inflicted injuries? I, I haven't, no, because I uh, I certainly don't take it as far as Daniel does, but no, I haven't. No, I, I've actually never really been to the hospital, um, but I it's not for anything. Not, yeah, not for anything. Not for I, I don't think I've ever been to a hospital in my life, but um, but I love You're going there. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was born in a hospital. I think that's the last time I've been there, but um, surprisingly but i actually i mean i love going there you know like when my friends get in car wrecks or whatever i yeah i love wandering around and, and you know I, I love the smell of hospitals it's like clean death yeah it's well it smells really interesting like that like whatever the different kinds of antiseptics they use mm-hmm. and yeah it's it's really interesting atmosphere so do you worry um, at all of this being a trend to like the younger generation of seeing this and kind of like being copycats? No, I, no, I actually, the reason I don't worry about that is because I think it's like teenage girls who are already doing most of the cutting to begin with. Yeah. I, I think if you're just doing like shallow surface cutting, there's no way that you can really hurt yourself. Um, right. It's like getting a piercing or a tattoo. Oh, I know. I did it at like at 13, you know, when I was right. like very young. Uh, I think right. it that, kind that's of what helped me develop an understanding that I was going to want tattoos later. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, I mean, I think most everyone has at least experimented with it when they were young. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's no way you can really hurt yourself as long as you're using antiseptic. And the stuff where I'm stabbing myself with knives, um, you know, I what. Well, I would say that no one should copy that kind of stuff. I would never let anyone else do that. You know, I had a friend who once offered to do something like that where there would be the potential for injury, you know, to do it with me on film. And I told the person that I didn't want to do it because, um, you know, but even with the stabbing stuff, I'm very careful. I'm not trying to kill myself. I'm like a big fan of UFC fighting, uh, MMA fighting. And I've seen countless UFC fights where people have bled a lot more than me. And, you know, that's, that's mainstream yeah. and that's something that is shown in family restaurants and sports bars. And um, yeah, we, we did an episode where we're talking about kettle cadaver and uh, he's one of those guys that was like an extreme wrestler, you know, was used to getting um, barbed wire thrown across his face and, you know, um, glass and, fighter. you know, he doesn't care. So he did a lot of that in his stage performances, um, you know, just, but he would do like nailing his uh, dick to a piece of wood and right. stuff like that. <laughs> right. Well, and that, the, the only other thing I would add about that is that I think most um, most teenagers, like like most goths who cut themselves, are cutting themselves because of death. And it's because we live in this um, miserable universe where everything ends in death. And so I think that's that's what people should be worried about. You know, teenage girls are not going to hurt themselves by cutting their arms, but people should, I, I would think that people should pay attention to the underlying cause of you know why they're cutting themselves in the first place and Mm -hmm. you know i think if you've solved the problem of death you'll solve the problem that is causing uh goths to engage in that behavior in the first place right and it's not the kids themselves a lot of times it's the parents or something like that yeah it could be yeah yeah. i also don't feel like um people like if they're gonna cut themselves they're gonna do it and it's not gonna be because of some movie that they watched online yeah 100 percent yeah, I wasn't. I didn't have to be influenced by anyone when I was when I first started cutting myself. It it wasn't like I was looking up to someone who cut themselves. It's just you're just naturally curious. You know, there's just multiple reasons, and 
when you're a teenager and you're just starting to you're just starting to process these ideas about death and you know kind of like existential ideas then mm -hmm. it's just something that there's some connection between self-mutilation and that fear of death well there's also the aspect of like daredevils and stuff like jackass and cky <laughs> they do a lot of dangerous stunts and yeah self-harm and stuff like that uh, by the way i filmed a there's a cameo appearance by bam margera from jackass in xxx dark web dark web that i really? that, that i cut i cut it because he oh was good. he did <laughs> he his um performance was not quite up to par <laughs> funny that's crazy but maybe i'll release that missing scene someday that's so I, but yeah a lot of teenagers would would copy that stuff but that was more for daredevil like kind of a daredevil purpose where i feel right. like you guys have a, a kind of a different purpose or mm -hmm. angle towards it yeah definitely right. you don't think of your guys as a yourselves as daredevils or anything like that or stunts you do think of these as stunts or like no. is it more no. like art or what yeah art um personal things um a, a love of horror just you know anything i don't know yeah the best yeah, that it's, the, the it, best effects are real effects you know so <laughs> yeah it it would be um i would classify it as art yeah. <laughs> hopefully <laughs> so who's your who's been your biggest influence um i just to go off of what i just said like any just like uh, anybody involved in horror just just for a pure love of um, that genre and the art. Um, so everyone, I don't know, keep it going. Um, I, I would say like the surrealist movement for me personally. Oh yeah. I would say like the surrealists from the 19, from the late or like mid to late 1920s and early Silver 30s. Dalene. Right. Yeah. But, but I would also say like strange things, you know, like the smell of hospitals, uh, like I was saying, the, the taste of blood, um, mm -hmm. like, the taste of antiseptic, um, the smell of blood, uh, <laughs> blood, the smell of blood, <laughs> and um, you know, the smell of Glade plug-in air fresheners. <laughs> now, there's an interesting interview with uh, Severo Dali, and he was talking about uh, saying how surrealism is dead, and there's nothing really after him. And he's like, the last. Yeah. Do you feel that that's true, or do you feel that you've envisioned? Oh. Well, I, I think that that kind of that, that particular group with like Andre Breton and Max Ernst, Salvador Dali, um, Louis Buñuel, Man Ray, um, they had a they were particular. There was a particular energy around those guys that I don't think has ever been replicated. I mean, I think like the, the British surrealists who came later, who were probably taking cues from those guys, um, like Francis Bacon and. Um, Lucy and Freud and those guys, they, they did some interesting stuff too, but there just wasn't the same kind of energy. It, um, I don't think they've ever recaptured that energy that those, that those early guys had. What other artists are doing some more stuff as you guys, or do you collaborate with, or are you guys kind of alone in the scene? Uh, other artists here locally. Uh, well, I guess you probably do a lot of online collaboration, but is there anyone you know that you that you know there's a couple other girls that you've had come on yeah, um, I saw a few different like in some of the videos shorts you've done yeah well yeah we me and allison we collaborate with um 
that band Gymrath, that that black metal band. We work with those guys a lot, and um, we work and Cherokee. She appears in a lot of White Gardenia films, and um, and it used to be my my fiance, my ex fiance, um, used to my very the first like White Gardenia films I made were with her. Um, but then as far as like people, that's like kind of local people we've worked with. But I've also you know, Oval, um, the band the experimental German band Oval was one I collaborated with that I was really happy to work with because he was one of my childhood heroes. And like when I, when I was young, I used to listen to his music like constantly um, on repeat. And um, he, he has actually got somewhat of a high profile in the world of experimental music. He's produced stuff for Bjork and, um, and for uh, Harmony Korn. But um, you know, I was really, I was really, not many people know who he is, but that was one of the the best things that has happened to me in the last few years was to be able to collaborate with him on a song. That's cool. So have you dealt with any uh, legal issues with your videos? Yeah, um, we actually have. And it's, um, you know, I, I sent you, I actually forwarded you that MP3 earlier. Yeah. Because I kind of wanted to give you a little bit of information about that. But um it we've had some uh issues that were kind of you know when i whenever i do something i'm like very careful to i'm very careful to um research everything before before i do anything i carefully study the legality of everything i do you know to make sure it's legal before i do it i um because i know that what we're doing is going to have like cause controversy or mm. you know at least it's going to make some people think that there's definitely lines that I don't want to cross. And basically everything we do in white gardenia, everything I do is kind of defined by those boundaries of, you know, if I just wanted to do stuff that would have impact or be shocking, I would just go out and kill people. I would shoot people, but it's, it should be obvious that I'm working within the rules of society that I'm specifically, you know, that white gardenia does follow. Um, we, we stay on the right side of the law and, so I, I always study the legality of everything before I do it. I'm not like Gigi Allen just wreaking havoc in a drunken rage, you know. Right. But we have had some legal issues. Um, and I sent you that audio clip before the podcast started. And that, you know, we had a guy who had caused some trouble for Allison. He was basically harassing her, you know, intentionally spreading gossip that he knew he knew that it was untrue and he threatened to shoot her. And this is a man threatening to shoot a woman. And yeah. And, and, you know, he probably justified that in some way in his own mind. I know he's a conspiracy theorist. Um, Like I know he's a disciple of David Icke. And so he believes in all of that childish nonsense, like the, the reptilian shapeshifter QAnon stuff. (laughs) And um, anyways, apparently this person, uh, um, apparently our film had um, on, on some level, it had ruined his life. And um, he claimed that the segment was so horrific that he, he couldn't stop thinking about it. And again, there's a lot more going on there that I don't want to get into about what his real motivations were. But he apparently orchestrated for several people to call the police about um, about XXX Dark Web. And apparently, from what I understand, several people called called the police saying that the film was illegal, you know, for multi- different people calling saying it was legal for multiple different reasons. And then some other people, including my cousin, my uh, my fat pig of a cousin, 
started <laughs> conflating the fact that our film was, um, you know, they started confusing the fact that our film was unsimulated with the other segments in the film, saying that the other segments contained real murders. And, um, you know, of course, it, it's completely ridiculous for anyone who knows anything about horror. There are no real murders in the other segments, and you just have to watch them to see that that's true. And um, you can see in the bonus features how they how they do all of the special effects. Yeah, that was and cool so my, my segment, me and Allison segment does contain real violence, but there is there is no obviously no murder in any of the other in my there's no <laughs> there's no murders whatsoever in my segment. And of course, we have nothing to do with the other segments. I didn't even know who the other directors were going to be when I agreed to contribute to the anthology because it's a collection of unconnected films, you know, all made by different directors who have never even met each other. So, um, but even without knowing anything about the other directors, it's obvious that all of the other segments were it, you know, they all in, involved effects. They were all simulated. And so the police actually investigated the segments in, um, in that film and white Gardenia's films, you know, they, they were asking about, <laughs> you know, what exactly what we were doing. And um, the police were, as far as I was concerned, they were really professional and, you know, incredibly polite. The, the woman I was speaking with gave me permission to record that audio clip that I sent you. Um, I got the officer's permission to record that clip where they were saying that, you know, there is no probable cause whatsoever. And that in, and it, in the audio clip, I also apologized to them because you know, they had to watch the film and the film does contain, you know, some, some pretty disturbing stuff. It does contain, you know, pretty graphic violence, but Tetro video does everything by the book. You know, Demiziano made me get multiple signed letters of consent from, from every person who was involved with the film and even um, signed letters of consent of the people who were holding the cameras. I had to send IDs for every single person and signed letters that said that no drugs or alcohol were involved in their respective scenes. And so Demiziano and Tetro Video run an extremely tight, uh, you know, extremely professional ship. Yeah. And he, they, they also, one thing about an, just an incidental story is that um, Tetro had actually commissioned another segment for XXX Dark Web. And uh, Demiziano <laughs> told me that when they received the submission, it contained some elements of animal cruelty. And so um, they you know, outright refused to use that segment. And Demiziano, you know, they, they said that they would not, they would never allow anything with animal cruelty to be in one of their films. So they're extremely careful about the kind of stuff that they release. That's good to they know. They don't play around with anything that could potentially be illegal. So the entire thing has been, you know, really surreal from that perspective. Um, but to me, that, that thing of a man threatening to shoot a woman is... The, um, you know, where it really became alarming to me. And the only thing he probably doesn't realize is that uh, Allison probably has more experience with guns than he does. And um, I mean, everyone here in Montana, everyone has guns. Um, even Cherokee, who's like a hardcore left winger, is always out shooting guns. It's just kind of standard operating procedure here in Montana. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Washington's kind of the same. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine. Has it been difficult to find any sites to show your work or stream on? Well, somewhat, but I do try to be pretty communicative with the site administrators and stuff. I've actually become friends with some of the people who run these, these kind of, um, you know, underground websites. And it would come, when it comes to like the blood drinking stuff, 
stuff like that. Um, I'm usually like, hey, um, you know, like you've got these Herman Nietzsche videos posted. I mean, even YouTube has Herman Nietzsche videos. And so my stuff is not all that different from some of the stuff that is already kind of, you know, stuff that is kind of snuck into the mainstream. So do you think a lot of people see the deeper meaning in your work or do they just see it as self-mutilation? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if anyone is noticed. I don't know if anyone's noticed that I'm constantly like sneaking quantum physics equations into my films. And I don't know if anyone's paying that close of attention. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think only you and, <laughs> uh, and like, you know, people behind the scenes are seeing that because I mean, maybe I feel like maybe some people who are into um, more extreme cinema, or more, yeah, or anything like that, you know, they might pick up on things. But I feel like the majority of people are just like, well, I saw a lot of them. people are fucking crazy. Yeah, I saw more like more like the Mayan take on it, you know, that you should em- embrace pain and death um, in order to not fear life. I mean, I think me and Allison probably have different takes on it. I'm actually totally... I'm, I'm, and I'm not sure I'd have to study the Mayans and what they believe. I was actually talking to Erica Fravel a little bit about that, about um, like Mayan beliefs, but um, I'm actually against death completely. Like that's one of the, yeah. the, the secret messages I'm trying to sneak in, or that's one of the underlying messages is to me, death is really problematic. Well, I think that's what, I think that that makes makes it good um, because I'm like completely all about death um yeah and embracing it and you're not so i feel like that makes it something yeah that might that us, might be it might be I that don't... contrast that makes things work because yeah i used to work on that magazine street trash like a fanzine we used to put out and i was working with this girl named Jana, and she actually um one day she realized that i was trying to that that i did not like that i was not a fan of death and was in favor of like transhumanism and different technologies that could potentially you know, find some way to eradicate death. Does your family support your work? I don't think either Allison. of our families know about our work. Uh, my sister knows about it and she doesn't care. But other than that, I wouldn't share that with them. And I don't speak to my family. So, um, and Daniel, I don't think your family knows about your work. But I, No, I don't. I don't tell. I don't. They wouldn't be interested because they just don't like horror. And no, I don't want I, I don't tell them about it. <laughs> I, I mean, my sister has seen me almost every single day for the past two years, and she never has once noticed that my finger's gone. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How young did you start kind of being into like self-infliction? Uh, Elson, do you want to jump on that one? Um, I, I don't know, teenage years. I've always been fascinated with death and blood and gore and horror and scary things. I don't know. So I guess as long as I can remember. Yeah, I I was probably about 13 or 14 when I first started cutting myself, I think. Um, but I've always loved horror. I, I mean, as my, some of my earliest memories are being interested in horror films and like walking down the aisle of a video store just looking at the horror films. And what about, Daniel, somebody was telling us about in school how you would, uh, how you would uh, stab yourself with pencils in the class. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I used to, yeah, I used to stab myself with like, um, with like it, whatever was, well, whatever was sitting around, like whatever school supplies were sitting around. <laughs> Can I give you a, a <laughs> honest, honest, honest personal thing around the same age? Um, so when I was in like 
from th- I was 13 and 14. I don't remember what grade I was in. But um, I used to be one of those kids. I would have like a little razor blade in my wallet. And I was kind of bored in class and just kind of like a little bit cut myself. But this girl looked at me and was kind of like, you know, intrigued by what I was doing. And so I just like the blood was going down my arm. So I just kind of like went up and licked it like all the way up to the wrist. Like granted, like I'm, I'm not that, you know, into that much anymore. But at that age, so I get it. Like, yeah, <laughs> probably yes, traumatized yeah, her for life. It definitely has like progressed. It's not just like, uh, you know, now it's not like, oh, we're just cutting ourselves for shits and giggles now. But uh, into it's definitely progressed into a different style. I mean, obviously the art and um, more like occult things. So. What's interesting about self-mutilation is that there's like so many different um, there, there's like so many different ways that you can look at it. Um, I think that, um, you know, self-mutilation used to be when I was like 14 or whatever, I was trying really hard not to masturbate. And whenever I would have sexual thoughts, I would push needles uh, up into my dick, you know, like right through the skin to stop the sexual thoughts. It wasn't like Albert Fish or anything like that, you know. Oh, okay. It, I wasn't getting any kind of like sexual. Like gravity. It, it wasn't like right. you haven't seen. So have you seen Twenty Nine Needles? No, no. But I've talked to you know I've kind of briefly briefly interacted with him on Facebook. He seems like a really nice guy. But anyways, <laughs> but yeah, when I was young, I used to do that. Um, not it. So it we kind of became like it was like an anti-sexual thing when I was young. Um, it was totally. It, you know, I got so used to pushing needles into my dick, I could easily make a movie like that now where I'm doing that. But I wouldn't want to do it because everyone would think I was doing it as like a as a turn on. Um, but having said that, some of my mutilation films have kind of strayed into sexual territory. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing about self mutilation. It's got like this broad range of subtext, like it can be sexual, it can be anti-sexual, it can be self-discipline or it can be self-indulgent, it, it can be, or, and it, like you guys are saying, it can be like a ritual, it can be a cry for help. Are you, uh, are like, you still refraining from sex or? Yeah, I don't, I don't really have sex. I, if a girl um, agrees to be, to make a film with me, that's the only time I would have sex is if they allow me to film it and document but you don't, it. But, but you don't. Uh, you I don't, don't masturbate either. Yeah. Yeah. I don't masturbate. Um, so but, no not November, no problem. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> so no not November, no problem. Right. No yeah. problem. No, um, no, it's definitely um I think that there's multiple reasons, but one of them is like they say that sexual activity um tends to it, it like excessive sexual activity increases aging. And yeah. so again, I'm like obsessed with um trying not to die. And um, also they say, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard from various sources that um, excessive sexual activity can decrease creativity. And so Dolly has made the case for that. Um, Alfred Hitchcock also, you know, had this, this ritual when he was making films where he would stop having sex with his wife for long periods of time while he was editing his films because he thought it killed creativity. Well, it could definitely probably be a, a distraction for sure. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was. Yeah, it's, you know, but but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, who knows? I do think that not having sex definitely makes you more of an angry person. But mm-hmm. I mean, that angry can be useful when you're making art. 
have you gotten any negative flack on on your work um like on social media or other hateful emails yeah i mean yeah endless like negative there the it's it's a way the the negative reaction is understandable though because i would be really surprised if there wasn't a negative reaction and i would think i was doing something wrong because i mean it's almost intentionally made to elicit a negative reaction from certain kinds of people but yeah i mean like i say i was kicked out of a of a, my own concert and i we had the police called on, on us and so there's multiple you know it's it's just um if if everyone was like thrilled and thought it was if, if everyone was delighted to see me slice you know cutting myself up with scissors I would, be I would be really concerned. I would think there was something wrong with society. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, the negative reaction is just, you know, that that just goes along with the kind of art that we're making. Do you kind of brace it as like, you know, negative publicity is good compos- or publicity? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's just, I know that there's a certain, there's certain people on the margins of society that will appreciate it and certain people that won't, I would always hope that the majority of people wouldn't like it because mm-hmm. then I would be like scared if I was think that it's like the majority of Americans all of a sudden um, <laughs> became, became really desensitized. Yeah. I mean, I would think I would be, yeah. I, yeah, it would be, it would, it would concern me if I saw that like suddenly this had become acceptable I already get kind of concerned when I see certain horror movies when, when like torture porn became big a few years back, it, it kind of made me concerned because I was thinking this doesn't seem like a healthy thing for society that people are infatuated with, with this genre. So certain things I kind of feel more comfortable with if they're just on the margins. Mm-hmm. Especially for a mainstream, like there's certain things, things being underground because that's what you're into versus being pushed out to the public. I've just always kind of thought that horror was the, the point of horror is to like process these ideas of pain and death and, um, you know, the things that people kind of almost like a way to inocul- inoculate yourself to, to the pain and horror that people actually have to face, you know, living in this world. And, um, and so horror films are kind of like a way to prepare people for that. It's kind of like sublimating those concepts and making it easier for people to process. So, um, so there is useful, there's reasons for horror. It's, um, but then there is certain like subgenres that arise that do kind of concern me and you kind of wonder what's the meaning or like, you know, why are these things becoming popular? Mm-hmm. What do you think about like the mixtapes and the death videos and stuff that are really popular right now? I guess I'm not really into watching that kind of stuff. I'm more into like doing like those things. And I, I haven't gotten I, I don't totally know like the different kinds of mixtapes that are popular right now yeah i, I know as a teenager i was really interested in like the faces of death and and well, i know yeah. that was mostly simulated i yeah but i haven't i'm not, i guess yeah i don't really know what's popular or whatever right now um, i don't typically watch that kind of stuff so yeah i um i watch snuff films i i i mean obviously what what is being depicted is you know it's tragic and it's unfortunate that those things happen but I think it does serve a purpose. I think it does remind people about death and it kind of um, it's important to document that kind of stuff. So people don't forget, like, like Edgar Allan Poe said, every everything an artist does should be to remind or, or every poem 
should be to remind the, the reader that they're going to die. So I think art's important, that, that that's one of the reasons. And so many great artists were obsessed with death. And so I think in its own strange way, like snuff films could serve that same purpose to just remind society about what's happening in the shadows. We're definitely influenced by music and even by like black metal bands. And um, like, I love the band Mutilation. Um, not all of their stuff, but Allison has really, I think has really great taste in music. Is there like some bands that kind of influence um, like, like maybe that you listen to before you do self-mutilation? Um, I don't, you know, I'll, I'll just like, I guess, similar i mean i like mutilation too um red for revenge um moon blood on random nastron you know just black metal stuff that i sometimes you know think about or i can hear it in my mind while we're filming or and whatnot the guy from sonic youth thurston moore uh wrote a song about me <laughs> Did Did he? do you want do you guys want to hear that story yeah sure <laughs> Well, it's Thurston Moore. I ran into him in Chicago, like in 2018. And by the way, I don't, I don't know anything about Sonic Youth, but um, I just ran into Thurston Moore in 2018 with my friend, Jesse Rouse. And I took some picture, pictures with Thurston Moore. And he seemed like really sleepy and like kind of subdued. And then I said to him, um, Thurston, I, I make movies um, and I make, you know, I was like talking to him about music, but I'm like, I make movies. Could I give you one of my DVDs? And he said, yeah, but he seemed kind of ambivalent about it. Like he wasn't, he just seemed like he was ready to fall asleep. And um, I gave him a DVD. I pulled a DVD out of my backpack and gave it to him and had the words white gardenia written in really big letters on the front, on the cover art. And he looked at the DVD and like all of a sudden he got really animated and he started saying, white gardenia white gardenia um like like he had just solved a crossword puzzle or something and he just kept staring at the dvd and i thought it was kind of strange at the time but then like two years later he released a song um it's a song called cantaloupe and it seems to be about us at least you know it may maybe i'm not sure <laughs> i'm not positive because but the chorus of the song is white gardenia and um, but if anyone listening to this knows Thurston, maybe they could ask him about that. It might just be a coincidence. I don't know. Probably, you know, was watching that video on tour one night and maybe got his got into a weird headspace. And yeah, he just kept going in his head, white gardenia, like the whole night. That was weird. He, he was obsessed with the name, like immediately something about the name really grabbed his attention. Hmm. Like, that's it, guys. We're changing the name of the band. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. maybe. <laughs> How do you define your work as being surrealist? Well, I, I think um, surrealism as it was originally conceived, um, like I was saying earlier, like back in the 1920s, I think it was probably the most extreme art genre that there has been. Like, I just love looking at the, those old pictures of when they, you know, when Andre Breton was running the surrealist group and, um, I just kind of like to imagine the kind of art that those guys were making. And sometimes in interviews, I'll name check a surrealist artist without even having seen any of their art. You know, I just like the energy that, that those guys had. And um, so much of their aesthetic to me was really, um, I think it is really 
kind of trickled down into the kind of art that I make. I actually think that that, that um, aesthetic is, as far as like the, the preoccupations with bodily trauma, you know, like the sliced eyeballs and Unchine Angelou and the amputee fetishism in Liage Dior and the, the injured hand in um, Blood of the Poet. And of course, um, the entire concept of surrealism came to um, Guillaume Apollinaire after a, he had a head injury in World War I. So right from the beginning, surrealism has been kind of preoccupied with trauma. And another, I, I would actually, uh, there's another, the other art movement, which I think is tangentially connected to surrealism, that was really, like when I was younger, was really influential to me was the Italian Futurist movement. They were inter, uh, kind of influential to me as far as that intersection of postmodernism with noise music and also their obsession with science and technology. And, uh, you know, uh, Luigi Rosallo was a huge influence. And um, they, they, it was a movement that has kind of been consigned to the trash bin of history because they, those guys associated themselves with like far right wing politics. And, and they were associating themselves with fascism, basically. And, you know, obviously they were wrong. They were wrong to <laughs> flirt with that, but um, they were on the wrong side of history. But it is, I mean, to me, it was a really interesting art movement. It's kind of too bad that it's, kind of been erased from people don't talk about it too much um are your self-afflictions a form of sacrifice for knowledge i think that anything i mean even throughout history you can see like any religion any entity any deity whatever you worship or follow uh blood is always a um a form of um interaction uh with whatever you're following or um worshiping um so i guess yes in a sort of way um maybe not specifically um when we're doing these films but um you know on a personal level yes do you study the cold or have any spiritual experience with inflicting pain i, I don't I mean, yeah i'm on the same level yes so when i um you know, yes, blood is something, um, it's loud. It's something that uh, those entities and deities, whatever you're choosing to um, put your mind to, put your effort in or worship or whatever, uh, they, they can hear that. And um, yes, I definitely think it's a link to spiritual world or whatever you want to call it. Um, do you still have the finger? <laughs> Yeah, I do still have the finger and um, I just, I pull it out like on special occasions. I, I pull it out like uh, when I, if there's like a select group of people I want to show it to or the, not too often because I don't want to damage it any further, but I do, I still make art with it. I, and, I have um, to say, I appreciate you doing the, the last bit where you showed the aftermath and when your finger had healed up a little bit because i was really intrigued i was like i want to see what his hands looks like like once it's healed and i was like oh there it is <laughs> yeah yeah it healed up really quickly and i never went to the hospital yeah so. there was this this guy uh chris um he was he's a satanist so he's like really open-minded but um he's also a med student but for some reason he was working the night shift at walmart and um well, he used to be in the, he used to be in Geimerth. He used to be in the band with me. And um, so after, you know, in those, in those few days after I cut it off, I was really worried about infection and stuff. 
and it was like kind of healing. So the bone was protruding through the top of it. And so it looked like it was pretty fucked up, but um, I kept taking it to him. I just, in the middle of the night, go to Walmart and ask him to look at it. And um, he gave me lots of advice because he's a med student because of him. He just gave me different suggestions on how to take care of it. And it actually healed up pretty quickly. Yeah. Cause you took like four whacks at it. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was surprising. It was, it was weird how I thought it would just, just take one, I mean, the butcher's knife was so sharp. I thought it would only take one whack to sever it. I was really surprised. Yeah. So do you sell the zine at all that your covers are based on? Yeah, the zine. Um, that was uh, made by... Street Trash? Yes. Yeah. I think, I think you're talking about Street Trash? Yeah. Um, that was printed by a man who... Um, is, this guy is almost a saint. His name is Ben. And he, had, he used to have his own printing press or he had access to a printing press. And so he started a zine called street trash. But after the first issue, I think he realized it would be too much work to keep it going. And so he, um, he actually gave, he gave it to me and he would like, he, um, you know, he said, you can be the editor of the magazine. You can print whatever you'd like. And so I'd bring in like 120 pages of like full color content. And he wouldn't, he would never, there was no questions asked. He would just print up whatever I brought in. It was amazing. And so he was like a saint and I don't sell it. He, one of his stipulations was that it would, the magazine would have to be free, mm. even though it cost like $50 per issue. To, like if we had done it through a regular print shop, it would have been like $50 an issue to make them. Well, and, if you um, ever give it out for free, let me know. Oh, I do. If people order um, DVDs from me and they, if they ask, if they make a request, I, I just throw in a free issue of street trash. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, there was like five issues. There was like, and we actually start about, I was talking to Allison about, you know, we we're trying to get it started up again, but yeah, Ben has been kind of busy, but, yeah. but yeah, I'd love to start it up again. So what draws you to drinking blood? Uh, it's just a weird feeling. I don't know. It's like, it's, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> I mean, everyone has tasted blood. Like I, like I, I'm sure that that was obviously when I was a kid, that was one of the first things is like kind of experimenting with the taste of it. And, um, but um, the smell of, you know, blood is, is the same, the, the way that perfume has different notes and different top notes and middle notes, you know, blood is the same way. There's like so many different tastes when you're drinking blood and um, you know, the blood you get from surface cuts is so different from the blood that you get from deeper cuts. Surface blood has like this perfume taste, whereas um, deeper like if, if you have like a really, you know, a, a blood from a deeper cut has that perfume taste, but it also has sub notes like a fishy taste. And that's kind of the thicker, more coagulated blood. And, um, and then, you know, there's the difference between fresh blood and blood that has been oxidized. And m my favorite is like blood that's mixed with antiseptic. T to me, that's the best tasting. But it's um, like your Mountain Dew. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, it's like wine tasting. It's like mm -hmm. there, there's kind of an art to it. Do you incorporate blood play in your day to day? Not not anymore. I mean, when I first started Wycardinia as a project, it was just a musical project. And I was trying to think of like some way to make a promotional video. And I just thought, well, I cut myself. You know, I do this anyways. I might as well just film it and 
you know, use that, incorporate that, that visual with the music. And as I started doing that, the, the filmmaking, the, uh, the filmmaking aspect got a lot more interesting than the music. And so it just kind of, I started putting more energy into the, into the visual side of things. Where did the name white gardenia come from? Well, it was like, it's kind of related to the black Dahlia murders. The black Dahlia murders were, um, there was like a series of different flower murders. And before the black Dahlia murders, there was the uh, white gardenia murder. And it was a woman named Ora Murray. And I can't remember the exact year, but um, the, that murder took place like a week after there had been a radio show on they had brought like on CBS radio, they broadcast a radio show about the white Rose murder. And like a, a week later, some guy, someone murdered this raped and murdered this woman and left a white gardenia on her body. Like it was a copycat, like he had been influenced by this radio show. And that was the first of the flower murders. And then the black Dahlia murders happened shortly thereafter. And so it was kind of like, kind of a mystery. And some people were saying that it was the same guy who was doing the various flower murders, but um, there's different things about that. That's that I would, you know, for various reasons, kind of too hard to explain right now, but I'm filming something, I'm putting together a segment for um, the Symbolicus anthology that uh, Marcus Koch is doing. And um, the segment I'm putting together has a lot to do with that. Like the, the history of the white gardenia murders. Um. How'd you get involved with Sam Hell? Um, Sam Hell, I uh, he's a really cool guy. He and and by the way, um, he put out a Blu-ray of a compilation of our films, and so maybe actually maybe at the end of the interview I should talk about how people get a hold or can um, order that Blu-ray. But yeah, you could yeah, you could do shut up. He um, Sam Hell, who's a great filmmaker, and who is. Um, a really cool guy to work with. He actually asked me, he just messaged me on Facebook and asked if, if I had any um, DVDs for sale. <clears throat> and I sent him some DVDs and, uh, and he liked them. And he sent me back a message saying he would like to, he was thinking of starting a new imprint for his horror label. And uh, he was uh, bizarre theater was the name of the imprint. And he asked if, if I could, if he could release a compilation of our films and he, uh, and it, and he he curated the entire disc. You know, he chose all the segments on there and the track listing and the artwork and everything. I was like really impressed by by how professional it turned out, and um, I, it seems pretty popular. I think we're down to like, I don't know how many copies are left, but um, if anyone is interested, you can go to bizarretheater.com, and uh, there is definitely still some available. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about or? plug or future projects well we're working on stuff i'm i'm actually for symbolicus um for marcus Koch. Are we Daniel? <laughs> yeah we we've tried to film this twice before um and we i i canceled both times and it should be um it should be an interesting you know it involves real violence and uh uh <laughs> I don't know if I can say much else about no, it. I don't, I don't want to talk about it too much, but it's going to be good if we actually ever film it, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, the 29th. We're going to, you know, fingers crossed, we'll be filming it on the 29th. Uh, and then I have a, a really big project coming up um, that I hopefully I'm going to start filming at the end of the year. 
and Allison will hopefully be involved with that as well. But yeah, and, and other like smaller projects. Um, and if anyone, I, I would just, if, if anyone is interested in checking out our stuff, I would, um, we have that uh, Blu-ray from Sam Hill is currently available and you can order that at um, bizarretheater.com. What's and, it called? Um, the, the compilation is called Blood Tastes Like Perfume, the short films of White Gardenia. And that is, uh, you know, if you can go to bizarretheater.com to order that and they accept PayPal and um, that is in limited supply. They do. And some of the um, copies of the Blu-ray come with a poster and they're signed, but I'm not sure we might've sold out all of those copies. I, I'll have to ask Sam about that. And then also Vorgor is out, came out a couple of weeks ago and that is um, an anthology from Demiziano Cristofaro. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, yeah, we watched it. Really Did you watch Vorgor? Uh-huh. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Wow, I still haven't even gotten my copies yet. I I can't wait to see it. I haven't seen I've uh, the only thing I've seen is my own segment. I I haven't seen um there I know that a lot of my friends are also on there and so I'm really excited to check it out. But um that that is available from tetrovideo.com. So anyone who's interested can uh order that as well and other than that i think that's all i have to to plug right now but also xxx dark web is from tetra although i think they're sold out currently i think that's um yeah, yeah no that's, that's right thank you so much for sending that to me because yeah the, you can't get that anywhere now yeah i that it is it's out of um print right now but i do think i'm not sure but i think in the near future Domiziano is going to I can't say for sure. I, I don't have any, I don't have any inside information, but I think they are going to try to get a new run, um, reprint that and put it back on the site. So that also would be available at tetrovideo.com. You know, that is the, the film we were talking about earlier that has been now investigated by the police. And uh, there has been a lot of controversy about it. It actually, it appeared on three different top 10 most extreme films lists in the, in the last two weeks here. And so it is starting to get some, you know, some word of mouth going and, and we're really proud. I think, I don't know if I, I don't know if I should speak for Allison, but I think we're really proud of how that segment turned out. And, um, yeah, um, I agree. Oh yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And Allison went above and beyond the call of duty in that film. She ate part of the finger. Um, she drank my blood and, um, various other things that you won't see in any other film. So, if anyone wants to check it out, go to tetrovideo.com. Does it really taste like pork? Sorry to say, end it with. <laughs> yeah, it tastes. It, it, I've, it, I've never. I'm a vegetarian, so I don't taste meat. But I remember from being a kid, and it tastes identical to pork. There's no difference at all. Yeah, yeah I've heard that. All right. Well, that that is it. Thank you very much for joining in. Yeah. Thank well, you guys. Thank- Thank Thanks you. a lot, guys. We really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting us to be on. All right. That interview was pretty cool. We got some interesting guests so far. We got Jonathan Doe, Brandon Terry, and now Daniel Valiant and Allison of White Virginia. So, yeah. So we got Bar Fetish, uh, Pseudo Snuff, and Self Infliction off. Jeez. What taboo can we bring up with American, next? American fetish. We're doing. We're going. Uh, well, Japanese uh, and also American fetish because we're doing uh, Sam Hell yep. on Japanese fetish. Sam Hell will be joining us for our next episode, so that's going to be pretty cool. We got a lot of research to do on this one. So, anyone that has any suggestions for 
stuff you want us to talk about on our Japanese fetish episode, just send us a message or start a comment thread on our page. It'd be awesome. You can find us on Facebook if you type in Quality Violent Cinema, join our group, or you can like our podcast page. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, Anchor, anywhere else. Uh, I mean, I want to eventually get us on YouTube, even if it's just um, yeah. audio, but we'll figure that out We'll soon. be doing YouTube stuff, and as we mentioned earlier, we're kind of exploring our, our different options right now for releasing content, so... Yeah, we have a great lineup coming up. We're going to have Sam Hell, and then we're going to have uh, Nathan Rumler. We're going to get into some censorship with him, and then we have uh, Fred Vogel. We're, we're going to kind of see uh, what he's up to these days. Um, then we're going to get into James Bell, uh, who does basically the special effects for every indie horror film these days. Um, yeah, and but then, it's not Marcus Cook. It's it's him. So Yeah, cool. I mean, which is great. I mean, um, I love James Bell's work. Yeah, so check that out. Um, a lot of stuff to uh, in upcoming episodes. All right. Thanks, guys. Blah! 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 Okay, and, and that, you know, one, once it's completed, that will provide some documentation that you guys thought, you know, there was nothing illegal about the film. Correct. Based on the based on what we observe, right? There's yeah, no okay. probable cause for any action on our part, and I think is probably how it's going to end up getting worded. But, okay. but yeah, but that's the report that'll have that information in it. Okay. And um, okay, so uh, let me just the, the last question I'd ask. Um, All right. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. It just so long as it's um, it would just put my mind at rest if you, you're saying for all intents and purposes the case is over though. Yeah. So right. So once I once I type up the information I need to put in there and to include the part about no probable cause, um, it's just going to go through the approval chain like all reports do. So I'll type it up, I'll submit it to my sergeant, and then you know if there's if there's any issues that I it's usually administrative, not so much content, but um, there's a process as far as getting it approved. But once it's approved, then yeah, that's that'll be the end of it, and it'll okay. be a closed case. Okay, and basically, what would the, be the timeline? Like, when would it uh, be closed, once and for all? I am hoping to have it done by the end of the week. Okay. Um, but it depends—I hate to say it, it just depends on caseload and how much time I have to actually be in the office to type everything up. Once, As far as, like, going through the approval chain, it usually doesn't take that long, as long as there aren't too many, you know— um, corrections that I have to make or whatever. Um, okay. And that's my goal is to have it by the end of the week. Um, and then, if either way, I'll certainly call you once it's done because I know that you're going to be trying to get a copy of it. So I'm not going to just like leave you hanging. I'll, I'll actually like call and notify you once it's been approved so that you know to call the records office. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. Yeah, feel free to call at any time. You know, if you have any updates or, you know, if there needs to be any follow-up whatsoever, be sure to let me know. Um, okay, I absolutely will. And, and also, don't hesitate to let me know if it doesn't sound like you'll need to. But if you do, for some reason, need to speak with Domiziano, you know, he is more than willing to, you know, address any questions. But um, but but it sounds like, for you know, for better or worse, that it's that's basically... That it's, it sounds like it's been resolved, so that is definitely a vote off my mind. 
Yeah. So I, I would say it's been resolved, and I don't, I don't see any reason why we would need to speak with him at this point. So, um, you know, you're welcome to reach out, reach back out to him, and tell him that it's been resolved, and we don't need anything more. Okay. All right. But he's, but he's also not over there, like wondering if we're going to need information from him. I think I don't think we're going to need to. Okay. Well, thanks again. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I know you guys don't didn't want to spend your day watching a film like that. And so, uh, you know, I apologize for, uh, you know, creating this. I, well, I mean, I don't feel like I created it in any way. Uh, but, I mean, I apologize that this happened. And um, No, no please don't apologize for, for anything. I mean, it's, it's all part of the job. You know, we get concerns from the public. We address it, investigate, and then we just go from there. And this was, you know, no, no, no issues with what we saw. So, yeah, okay. don't, please don't apologize. It's all good. All right. Well, well, thanks again, officer. Um, yeah, just uh, keep me posted, and uh, I'll just look for that email in the next few days here. Okay, sounds good. Thank you so much, Daniel. I'll, yeah. I'll be in touch. Thanks again. Take care. Okay, thank you. All right, bye-bye.